Welcome back to Operation Opera. Elise and I had a chance to chat this week a little bit about music as a connecting force, especially in times of struggle, um, which we've seen a lot this uh, past couple of weeks with Las Vegas and and all of the things that have been going on in the world. Um, enjoy. I have this image, you know, because we, we talk about neuro, neuroplasticity and... The image that I have is I'm, I'm looking at this brain and it has this little groove, right? This little line, or it has several lines, and, and these grooves are the, the stories that we tell ourselves and the things that we tell ourselves over and over again and the grooves become deeper and deeper and more and more defined. Mm. And, you know, there are things that are really important to, to have there, like don't cross the street when a car is coming. You know, let's have a really deep groove for that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, and let us help, let us build this groove in the children as yes, well. Yes, exactly, in the children, yeah. Adam, like, we're walking and he's like, look both ways. Yes, look both ways. Aww. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, um, but what does that even mean? Anyway, but that's another story. Um, but so with this image of this groove in my brain, I think about like exactly what you're describing the story that we tell of this has been hard for so long this is -da 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 -da, like and how do we change that story so that the groove becomes softer and less ingrained and more pliable and more fluid and what that fluidity can mean for each of our individual experiences you know we can change from being stuck you know, in the groove yeah. or whatever, yeah. and to actually moving forward with something and actually making yeah. a difference in our own lives and in the lives of other people. Because, you know, you know, we talk about, you know, people will say often, you know, I feel like there's two camps in the world. There's the camp of the person that's like, you can't change. Like nothing is, you know, it's all fixed. You know, you mm -hmm. are who you are. Um, and that's just the way it is. And then the other one, which is like, you can become whatever you want to be. You can do anything. And it's like, well, I mean, yes to both, because it really comes down to what do you believe? Yes. Yes. Did I tell you about this book that I read? It was actually a recommendation from our previous guest, Sarah Monsivais, mm -hmm. um, called The Biology of Belief. Oh, cool. Did I tell you about this? I don't, th I don't think so. It's written by... Oh, gosh. Now I'm going to forget his name because I've read a couple books since then and I just get them all mixed up. They're all scientists and researchers and medical doctors and medical school professors and smart like people. really smart. Yeah, exactly. Very <laughs> well studied people. So um, this guy, uh, he basically talks about how recent research has shown that our biology has very little to do our, our genetics, I should say, our genes have very little to do with um, the outcome of our lives, our physical health, mm. our capabilities, and that I can't remember exactly how much percentage-wise, but a lot of it has to do with our environment. Mm -hmm. And of course, as adults, we choose our environment, right? And that's, that's kind of great. Um, as, as kids, and especially during those formative years, the first about seven years of life, um, we are recording everything. Like our brains are recording everything that's coming to us and, and we believe it all. Hmm. They're very, we're very sort of gullible at that age. We just take everything at face value and believe it. So the things that our parents say to us, the things that we observe, if we see heaven forbid violence or, um, 
things like that and portrayed in the media, you know, the kinds of things that we learn from computers and with screen time and all of that, it just is absorbed immediately. And it becomes part of this sort of our, our programming that's at a, in a very deep level hmm. ingrained in us. And so then, you know, what we do, part of our work, our inner work as adults is to, to go back and find ways. And it's interesting actually, because, um, he says 95% of our behavior is controlled by our subconscious and those things that are programmed into us. And really it's such an uphill battle to try to consciously change that unless you approach it from uh, a meditative state mm -hmm. or um, for instance, hypnotherapy, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He's, he, he's all for it because it it's not on just on a conscious level that you're um, sort of taking in the new information. It sinks in deeper because you're in a relaxed state. Um, and he says that that's a, that's a, one of the proven methods to be able to sort of reprogram, um, some of those thoughts that come from a very early age, that's so but that you totally can. Absolutely. Well, I, I think, I think it's interesting when we think about, um, when we think about the subconscious manifesting itself in our daily lives, right? I think it's so much, and, and it becomes most evident, I feel like, with other people, right? You can observe through someone's patterns, like, and through, you know, especially like, say, in, in relationships where, like, say, let's say you're at the mall and you see somebody, you know, who's having an argument or having a, you know, very sort of understated argument with, with their partner and they may not even notice like how how cutting maybe they are being or you know how the other person is responding to them and yet you see it right because it's a part of your conscious reality because you're mm. observing it versus somebody else who is living it in in sort of an unconscious way um mm. i don't know i i Interesting. And I mean, right. I feel like when something is right in front of you, you don't necessarily see it because it, you're too close to it. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, I feel so strongly about, you know, no man is an island. Nobody should be going through this life without, you know, the experiences of other people and, and conversation and, and connection because we need to be mm. able to, you know, speak to each other and and with each other about various things that help us as we you know strive to become better people and yeah i don't know it's kind of absolutely a big huge idea but like <laughs> no absolutely and this is this has been on my mind for some time probably for uh, three or four years um i've been thinking about another another book that i by the way the author of the biology belief is bruce h lipton um well, and uh the other book that i read which is by david hawkins is called power versus force and hmm. he's he he's actually talking about applied kinesiology which is a separate topic entirely um but he talks about how in life, we should not have to force things and that power is something different from force in that it, it sort of happens spontaneously when you're aligned and it doesn't require, so, I mean, force sort of implies this imbalance of, you know, of, of, of thrust or of effort. Right. And, and this is what we want in singing, right? We want power. We don't want force. That's right. <laughs> and, um, one thing that he talks about as a really powerful therapy um, is 12-step um, help, uh, self-help or support groups. Hmm. So um, he talks quite a bit about AA and where it came from and, and how and why. And this is part of the reason why you and I started The Transparent Singer in the first place, right, was to have a forum to be able to discuss things so that we're not all just living in isolation in our own shame with our doubts, that we can kind of get some of the th these things out there and understand, okay, 
uh, the experience that we're having is actually very similar to the experience that our colleague is having because it's sort of the nature of the beast. And then we feel comforted in that. Right. Yeah. And so, you and that's not alone, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and that's <laughs> the function of these, these, uh, support groups. And, and part of my sort of vision for, um, you know, the, the yoga, mindfulness, holistic, singing, mindful singing, meditative singing, what I wanted to include a component that would be a sort of a sharing time when, you know, everyone could gather in a circle, all the, all the people involved in this, you know, this program could gather in a circle and take turns sharing their experience mm-hmm. and, and sort of use it as a time it's interesting because the way that it's done, I don't know if you've ever attended a support. I don't think you have ever done a 12 step, but I'm not trying to like call you out or anything either. <laughs> I personally have. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think you I have. Haven't. And, and knowing myself, I imagine that I would be very guarded in a situation you, like that. You would be the one who chose not to share, yes, which is I also would be the one. very acceptable. <laughs> I would be like, I'm totally fine. I'm if you want to just pass, gonna, Rachel, yeah, I'm just going to pass. Thanks. <laughs> I'm just going to pass. <laughs> so, but it's set up in a way that is so smart. Um, and, and the proliferation of 12 step groups from a, the original AA and then to Al-Anon, which was to support the family members, spouse and family members of people yeah. of alcoholics. Exactly. Um, it's just proliferated into this enormous sort of world that can help with any issues. You know, they have, Overeaters Anonymous, and they have Shopaholics, I think, Anonymous. I don't know. But because um, I, I was never an alcoholic, but I did have an issue that I wanted to seek help for. And I went to a group and I just found it to be so immensely helpful and comforting and supportive. Mm-hmm. It was very supportive. And the way that they set it up, it's interesting. They tell you at the beginning that um, there will be a sharing portion. But when it's when it's one person's turn to share, no one else gets to interject or say anything during that time. Mm. They get to wait till their own turn. And then crosstalk is not allowed, which means you don't respond directly to what someone else said. I mean, I'm sure there are, I think there are exceptions if you're just saying, I I feel the same way or, you know what I mean, if you're saying something supportive. But like they really set it up to where um, – the prevailing, there's, there's just a lot of respect there, complete confidentiality. And it's just sort of this safe place to be able to open up and, and really share. That's, that's a a huge part of being vulnerable, right? And our whole Brene Brown thing and all that stuff that we also believe in being able to be vulnerable requires a safe space. Um, completely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good for us to be vulnerable, but at the same time, it's not always necessary to be vulnerable when it's not safe. And so, well, and that's, that's one of the, and and I think that's probably why for me, like in, in that kind of a situation, I probably would stand back because it takes an awful lot for me to really feel safe. Um, and I, (laughs) and so to actually share like, here is part of me that is Still, I'm struggling. Like the something that Brene Brown says, right, about the vulnerable. Like you, you can share your story, and then with the caveat, I feel it's caveat, um, with those who have earned the right to hear it. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that I probably, you know, would in that situation really struggle with. And yet, I think that there's probably immense benefit to it. Right. But I mean, like from everything you described, I mean, obviously, if this is something that's being adopted by, you know, various groups and, you know, people, you know, struggling with things across the gamut, I mean, you know, there's an applicable thing with it. It's, it's very useful and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it took me a couple of times, two or three times, and I'm someone who's pretty open. Um, but I, I just needed to get a feel for like, what exactly do people say here? Like what, like yeah. what is yeah. I'm there to share, like that, you know? That first I, time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But. And, and also to get a feel for who are these people around me? Like, and you get, and you do get a feel for people when they share and you mm-hmm. feel extremely close to people very quickly when they, when they open up like that and you understand it's, it, it creates almost a sacred environment mm-hmm. because when everyone's around the table like that, um, and they're all there 
to to gain a greater understanding and to be able to feel love and support and and safety and all those things that we're all sort of on the same page with that it it creates an environment where wonderful things can happen in terms of letting go of baggage and burdens being lifted and and sort of just you know i've thought about this a lot when you're in when you're not in a safe place it's hard to process anything you know you're sort of in this survival mode absolutely and it's not until you get to a safe place and then, you know, sometimes it's just like, like this, all this stuff starts coming up, right? But it couldn't come up before because there was no space for it. There's no space when you're not safe. And so part of the safety is that, that space where that stuff can go. And then suddenly, yeah, this stuff will surface that you're like, what, where did that come from? But the reason why you're like, I feel so happy, you know, and I'm happy with like in a relationship, I'm so happy with this person. Like, why am I suddenly so emotional? And, but it's because when you're in that safe environment, that's when it comes up. That's when it's ready Hmm. to process. Yeah. And then the question is like, when you process it, like, what does that even mean? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, I can tell you what I think it means. Yeah. I think it means that you're ready to face it. I don't think that you necessarily have to do anything with it. You just have to look at it and 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 be honest about what it is and then let it move on. Like I there's or sometimes maybe there's something you need to address within it. Mm-hmm. But you just look at it honestly and and that the courage that it takes to be able to do that is another thing too, which sometimes you know, can come out of the safe environment as well. So maybe the stuff comes up because you're finally also equipped or on the road to being equipped to be able to look at it and process it. Absolutely. And by process, I mean, look at it and let it go. Yeah. Look at it, like work through it and let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Because holding on to it isn't going to help you. <laughs> right. Living, no. it, living it over and over again. isn't going to. And help avoiding you. it. Yeah. And avoiding it is like the worst choice in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because it just will keep cropping up. Yeah. It will just keep, it will be there until you look at it because it's there to teach you. It's there to help you. And that's the way life works. And if you don't want to look at it, it will keep coming back. You know, I just, as we're talking about this, I keep thinking about, you know, this this recent, I, I'm going to call it a terrorist attack because I think anybody Gosh. who inflicts that kind of, pain on on people is you know it's, it's, it seems like terrorism to me um yeah but i i i heard that that this gunman his brother apparently said something along the lines of you know it was completely out of the blue like nobody had any idea and that he i mean they knew he had some firearms but they had no idea that he you know that he was capable of something like this and I just think about that and, you know, going back to sort of earlier what we were talking about, about being, you know, that no man is an island. It's like, well, what, what kind of an island was this guy living on? You know, like, yeah. Where, yeah. you know, where, where you aren't connecting with anyone. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just a horrific time in which we live when, when, these kinds of things can happen. And I don't know. I've just been thinking a lot about that. Absolutely. And, and when, when we're, you know, in this place with social media where so much of our interaction is, is digital and not face to face and, and, you know, it's a, it really is just a shadow of a connection, Uh, you know, and we can put as many exclamation (laughs) points as we want, but it's still not the same as, you know, being able to give somebody a hug mm-hmm. or, you know, to actually have a physical connection with them. Um, or even like when you and I talk, like that's way different, you know, from just sending a text. It's, Absolutely. it's great. Yeah. It's great to be able to, to really connect and it's so important and to connect on a vulnerable level too, mm-hmm. because otherwise what is life about? Is it really just all the surface stuff? Is that all it is? No, <laughs> which is a great segue into the other thing I wanted to talk about, Yay. which is why it's so important that we as artists carry on 
mm-hmm. and that we and that we continue to create and why even when you know we have <laughs> it's it doesn't pay well you know and we have student loans and you know and we're still going to coachings and voice lessons at a hundred dollars an hour or whatever they are, our entire lives, you know, this investment that never, never seems to, you know, financially get in the black, but at the same time, why that price that we pay is so important. Well, if it's a part of your soul, how do you put a price on that? Right. I mean, I guess I just, I feel like, I mean, certainly there is a price tag, of course. I mean, you know, you, the barter system only can go so far. I did manage to barter, <laughs> I did manage to barter a voice lesson for a stroller after mine was lost on the airline, which I felt very, very good about, as a matter of fact. Wow. Um, yes, yes, I'm feeling very good about that. Uh, Excellent. Yes. No, your good stroller, the awesome one, that's yes. so, like, good for yes. you. Yes, that one. They just never got it. I know. Lame. Whatever. We'll figure it out. But um, yes, I did manage to to barter. And I felt very accomplished in in a way. I don't know. Uh, But... (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, But the thing is, when it comes to progress, when it comes to learning, when it comes to becoming the fullest version of who and what you are, that's a journey that the price tag, whatever it is, is just necessary. Um, I think often people are spending money, and we all do this to some extent, you know, as an escape. You know, we sometimes escape from something uh, by, you know, buying whatever you know as a, as a right people you were talking about shopaholics anonymous or whatever you know people mm-hmm. will, will shop to alleviate some kind of stress and for a moment you know the endorphins that are released when they when they buy a beautiful pair of earrings you know satisfies you know some part of you even though mm. there's a much deeper crater somewhere else um yeah. but but if it's if it's truly money being spent on something that is bettering and improving or expanding like the truth of who and what you are, then it's worth it. I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, on the individual level, like you're saying also on a community level, Mm. like what are we, what are we bringing to the communal table? What are we bringing? Um, I, you know, when something happens like this tragedy in Las Vegas, what, how, how do you respond to that? How, like, what is there? What, what do we have access to in this world that can begin to heal that, that can begin to make things right after, after such a violent, horrific act? Well, I feel like, I feel like we responded to this, you know, to a similar thing as awful as this is almost what is it, two years ago, two years ago, almost to the month, right? Because this happened in Paris in November of 2015 at a concert. There yeah. were, you know, there were, there was a terrorist attack. And in response to that, um, when we were in Paris, we put on a, a benefit to benefit the families um, who had, you know, who were left and, and we, did tributes to people and you know read things about their lives and performed pieces and tied it all together in a way to to try and um offer you know something and it's you yeah. know it's for you as an artist it's for you know the but it's for also it's a way to say you know we're with you we um you know we we acknowledge you know the tra- this tragedy and yeah, you know, I and I feel like art, and really music specifically, can touch us and can touch others. In it is so individual. It's just so individualistic. Individualistic. Yes, it is such an individual <laughs> experience. <laughs> um, yeah, 
you know, I, I went to a concert the other night um, and I heard one of my favorite pieces, which is a Dvorak trio. It's violin, cello, and piano. And I think it's mm. over 65. And the third movement is the Adagio, I think, or Andante. I can't remember. All I know is it's unbelievably beautiful. <laughs> mm. And it is a conversation between these instruments of loss and longing and like coming mm. together and then being pulled apart and and this sort of almost seemingly endless conversation um mm. and when i listened to that piece and this was the first time that i'd ever heard it performed live so i was i was in heaven i was just like oh this is so great um <laughs> and yeah it was it was awesome um, and what was so neat is that at one point during during that movement, um, I was I was almost directly above the stage, behind them and above, and I could see the instrumentalists like you know I could see the music I was, and mm. there was a moment where the cello's line came out more um, than in any of these recordings that I'd listened to. And so I heard this certain, um, you know, very intense and almost, almost like dogmatic kind of, kind of statement in the cello in this, in this moment that came out so strongly and so specifically. Uh, and I just, you know, it just tears welled up in my eyes because I was like, Oh, I never noticed that before. I never heard that before. This is the first time I'd really heard that. And, mm. and I feel like, in situations of grief and in situations of loss, music can find the grooves <laughs> of our own experience that alleviate pressure hmm. or give voice to pain and to suffering and to loss and and, yeah. and to joy and to a life lived fully or cut short or whatever, you know, every, every possible facet of the human experience, I feel like music has a way of touching us so that we can work through a lot of the pain and a lot of the, all of, you know, we can work through all of these emotions. Yeah. That, um, that we experience, especially in times of trial, like, like what this is, it's a, you know, it's, it's, you know, senseless violence. Um, and what will we become because of it? How will we change? Will we just, you know, go on Facebook and rant about how Republicans are lame or, you know, and then gun laws are retarded? Like, are we going to do that? Or are we going to, um, find a way to, connect more and to make something that's meaningful um i feel like when um when 9-11 happened right that was that was an experience that that brought together a nation it brought together well and it certainly brought together the city right like people yeah talk about it and i remember for myself like you know in a in a city where you're never really alone, but you're always lonely. Um, you were not lonely anymore because you had this shared experience. These kinds yeah. of experiences, I believe, happen as a reminder that that we need each other and that everybody matters and that no life, you know, is insignificant. Yeah. So... I don't know. Well, I wanted to share the quote um, from the very famous Leonard Bernstein quote yeah. Um, that, yeah, I think the first time I heard it, I thought that's brilliant. He says, this will be our reply to violence, to make music more intensely, more beautifully, more devotedly than ever before. Yeah. And there's so much power there, right? Because there's so much power to connect us through music and, and not just to connect us, but actually to remind us of the connection that is innate within us. We just forget. We 
we feel separation, we feel isolation from each other, but really we are so connected to each other and music brings that to the fore. Music brings that to the present moment when we are making music, when we're listening to music, when we're sharing the music, um, it, it, it helps us identify that connectedness that is a part of us, but that we often forget. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, you're talking about earlier, you were talking about how, you know, getting into a safe space allows you to actually confront, you know, Mm. or, or have the possibility of confronting these emotions, you know, or these, you know, challenges that you're experiencing in your life. And I think, yes, music can do the same thing, right? It, it can be something that, I mean, it, I guess it can be a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right? Um, yeah. 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 I can't tell you how many times I was pining over a guy in college and I had music on and was just crying. Yeah, it was, it's, it, it helped me to kind of like, I don't know, mourn. And you know what? It made me think of, um, it made me think of your, the CD that you made. Maybe you could talk about that for a second. I don't think you've ever talked about it on a podcast. You could say a little bit of something about morning. Oh, about morning. Yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of, it ties right in, right? I mean, the thing is like, I feel like I kind of live in this perpetual state of like loss or longing or the sense of, mm-hmm. you know, this sense of, of wanting something more. Like I was, I was thinking about this today, actually about how, uh, I, I, I heard someone uh, say, something about you know people who who are not ever able to be satisfied and I'm like oh that's me <laughs> like, yeah like I really really struggle with being satisfied I I find that I'm very happy and excited and I and it's it's not hard for me to get excited about something or to be you know you know like if something is beautiful I'll just say it you know or if I love something I'll just say it like it's not hard for me to be uh, effervescent like that's that's not hard for me but like but to be actually satisfied with something or with mm. my state like that's that's not something that's a part of me and and I'm just working on that figuring out you know what what's that really about but um but to go back it would be you, you were asking about morning and mm-hmm. morning uh was inspired uh, by a conversation that I had actually with someone that we interviewed earlier with Robert Norman, who's a tenor, and he and I both lost brothers um, when we were quite young to SIDS. And they, both of our brothers were, were young. Um, mine, my brother was a month and a half old, and his brother was four months old. Mm. Um, and he was six when his brother passed away, and, my, and I was eight when my brother passed away. And so we were old enough to have, you know, a lot of memories and, and to be obviously very affected by, by the deaths of our brothers. And I'd always wanted to make something as a tribute to Ben, that's my brother. And so that was sort of where the inspiration came to make Mourning uh, mm. as a journey, like taking people through the process of grief, of wanting, having losing and keeping hope after the loss of a child excuse Mm. me and because it was never my child um i think i could talk about that i think you know if it had been my child i don't know that i would ever be able to make something that you know intense i just don't think i could have done it um yeah but because it was a loss that i experienced you know as a sibling um i we we did this so we recorded pieces classical pieces and that sort of you know take you through that journey and in the end we did a hymn the last piece is uh, be still my soul uh, a new arrangement that um, my friend brian farrell uh, put together and we recorded it as sort of a, a tag at the end of the recording and we did it almost a year after we'd finished the rest of of the um of the album Hmm. but um yeah it's it was something that honestly I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of if not the most satisfying things that I ever do just because the responses that I got from people um you know people would write and say thank you you know I I needed this or my brother just lost a child or you know and 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 this is this is connection right this is this is making something that other people can say me too 
hey, hey, um, thanks, you know, and, and not that it matters that they say thank you, but that just knowing that it makes a difference in somebody's life, um, knowing that maybe they can feel a little bit of peace during a time of trial. Like, I mean, that's, that's pretty great, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. I, yeah, I think that's a huge, huge part of why we do what we do. So <clears throat> one other aspect, um, and sorry, unless you have something else to add, nope. I was going nope, to segue nope. again. Go for it. Famous for my segues. Segue, um, <laughs> segue away. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about sort of relating to this, um, it's, it's interesting because we do, we do convey great emotion, uh, especially as singers, as opera singers, um, both, both singers and opera singers, we have words, we portray characters. You mean, you Um, mean, you mean like on stage or you mean off stage? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, I would say probably both, both. (laughs) but, um, I remember the masterclass in Austria with Maestro Tito Capobianco Mm -hmm. and him talking about opera to him just being pure emotion and uh, he had a longer definition, which I could probably find in my notes, actually, if I looked it up, because I, I wrote good notes on that master class. He's a pretty brilliant director. Um, he had lots of thoughts that I was like, oh, yeah, totally. heck yes. I mean, he's also, he was also extremely seasoned, right? He's getting into his later years now and just so much experience um, so that when he talks, you're like, I need to record every word that you're saying right yeah. now so that I can be smarter. Um, but uh but that is that is essentially what we're doing. And when he said that, I I sort of recognized within myself that that's what I love about it so much is that, you know, so much of what we experience emotionally is mystical on some level, right? It's sort of undefinable and and yet it's as real as anything else. You know, it's as mm-hmm. real as the chair we're sitting in or, you know what I mean? But it's um, and, and I think part of what we do as, as opera singers is, and what you did with your, with your album morning as well, is we sort of embody these emotions in music to understand them better and to, and to, um, face them and process them and, and let go of them and to sort of go through what we need to go through. Like mm-hmm. it, it sort of, it, it takes us on a journey, right? An emotional journey. Um, and that's, that's like the spice of life, like without, without art and without this, without music, without what we do, um, where would we be at the same time? Sometimes we experience extreme emotionality <laughs> within ourselves because we are artists and because we are more emotional people, which is what puts us in a position to be able to convey such emotion on stage at the same time. What does that look like in our personal lives? And, um, and also, uh, on those days when we're feeling down, you know, like what, what, what do we do and, and how do we, because that it's such a huge part, you know, there are, I know I have a lot of colleagues who use marijuana or, wine or, you know, they have their ways of sort of coping with, yeah. And wine, it's like the terrible, the worst thing to anyway, but, um, but they have their ways, right. Well, it'll, (laughs) it'll dry you out, but it'll also make you more depressed. Right. But they sort of use these things and maybe it's the ones with anxiety that use that. I don't know, but sort of have these coping mechanisms, um, to be able to continue and do what we do, even when it's hard, you know, even when there's so much rejection, and even when, yeah, we're just like wondering to ourselves, is it even worth it and all that stuff. And it made me think back to one more thing and then I want your <laughs> response. It made me think back to something that my um, my mentor in undergrad told me, um, which was something that was really interesting. I never, I've, I've thought about it a lot since he said it because it impacted me when he said it to me. Um, and that was now, you know, 20 years ago, probably ish, maybe not quite 20 And, um, he said, he said, you have the right disposition to have a career. Hmm. And, and I know when he said that to me, I thought that was so interesting because, you know, everyone, everyone's at a different, 
place in terms of how much education they've pursued or training or, you know, how much performing they've done or teaching or what their involvement is in the art form. Everybody's at a varying level, right? And, um, and some people, I've, I've also heard it said that the, the people with the careers aren't necessarily the ones with the most talent. They're the ones with the most persistence. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I've been reading most recently, the most recent book that I'm reading, um, the, the instinct to heal is what it's called. Um, is it talks about emotional intelligence, which is something I studied maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Uh -huh. No, not even that long. It's probably like seven years ago. I read the book by, um, Goldman is the name of the guy who kind of pioneered and wrote the the first book about emotional intelligence, EQ, your, mm -hmm. not your IQ, but your EQ. Um, well, what's really interesting when it comes to emotional, well, not when it comes to emotional, but when it comes to like, you know, the doggedness that it takes to be one who can have a career, you know, is something that my mentors have said to me over the years is that Rachel, your disposition is not the same as your voice. And I, for a very long time, was like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, I mean, I have a fire for sure. Like, there's no question about that. But, um, but that I, like, the kind of intensity that the voice is, is not necessarily what I, you know, have been raised to be. And what I often will embrace, you know? Mm -hmm. And... Does that make sense? Uh, yes. Yeah. I didn't know what you meant at first, but now I understand and I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Tosca, right. She like kills a dude, you know, and that's just not something that I would ever do. I mean, well, maybe, I mean, I don't know, but you like... would do it jokingly for Halloween with fake <laughs> with, blood, with fake blood and like a retractable knife. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like with a big goofy look on your face. Yeah, exactly. Duh. Um, but, yeah, exactly. Like I am, I am a, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a goofy person. I'm not real, you know, I'm, I'm pretty playful. Like I'm not really, you know, this very staunch, you know, heroine wielding a sword. Like that's, you know, I'm, I'm like the person who is going to trip while climbing the mountain or whatever, you know, like, but not really, but not really. But not There's really. also a very regal side to you. That's I want you to I tell can. the story from last summer in, uh, not this past summer, but the summer of 2016, um, Which story? or no, not 2016, 2015 from, uh, sorry, getting my years mixed up, but um. you know, the exercise with, Anne. Oh, the king yes. exercise? Will you tell that story? Is oh. that too personal? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know if out okay. of context it'll make any sense, but I can try. Well, it reminds me exactly of what we're talking about yeah, right now. I guess that's true. Yeah, I um <laughs> Yeah, so so this woman who does movement classes, but it's movement from a place of your honest self-expression. And she knows when you're lying. <laughs> um, yeah. And this exercise is called... And movement for the stage, maybe we should mention, oh, should even though maybe that's implied. Not, yeah. just, not just like walking. <laughs> <laughs> Getting your groceries. Skipping um, rope. Yes. And no. now, one Grecian urn. No, okay. Um, it's, yes, movement for the stage. And... The exercise is called the König, you know, the king. And essentially, you move with other performers or other people in, in a group. And you don't ever say anything. But you make a gesture um, as though you are inside of an auditorium or in an opera house, you know, on the stage. You make a gesture with an arm up to the balcony on your left. And then you make a gesture on to the right and then there are people standing in front of you with these dowels that are about, you know, shoulder height, each of them, you know, maybe like a two inch thick dowel. And they they hit them on the ground. And as they hit them on the ground, like you you look at them and then you bow. And 
in this exercise, which right now sounds a little bit sort of cultish, I don't know, as I'm describing <laughs> it, it sounds like that's really weird. But um, It's always weird. It's a little it's weird. Good it's good, too, It's a little weird, but because it's weird, you're like, okay, man, here we go. It's, you know, we're just going to try this. Um, it, it was, the, the, I did it in the beginning of the summer, in the beginning of this workshop experience, and um, said, you are not ready. You know, she's in her, in her Belgian, with a very thick Belgian French accent. And, and she said, you know, you, you'll do it again. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then <laughs> I think I had to do it like four times. And by the end, she said, and now you are the queen. You know, she said, you're, you are, you know, that there was, and it was interesting because everyone who was participating and looking at me and, and everyone in, you know, the public, they say, you know, those people with their dowels, like they are, they represent the public and they sort of have a stern way about them. And, you know, sort of a very, you know, a very, um, very severe eye. And mm. they all looked at me and they were like, wow, like she has, you know, she has this power in her. And, and it's something that I think I, I mean, I struggle with it because I never know if it's something that by wielding, I'm actually, you know, truly living to the full measure of my creation, right? Or mm. am I being prideful? Like, what what is it? And is it always a balancing act? Um, mm. You know, so is it, yeah. So, so that's something that, and maybe that's retarded and I should just say, no, it's just you being your full self. Eh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's really what Definitely. it is. It's just being your full self. Rachel. <laughs> yes. I think this ties in to our last, was our last pod podcast the one with Rachel Will Sorensen? I think so. I think, yeah, I think it might've been the last one, yeah. but I think it ties into that, the whole thing about modesty and playing down and stuff yes. like that. I think, yes. I think you've got a case of that and I think you need to be the queen, Rachel. That's what yes. I think. Well, I do love jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> and you look fantastic in it. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, and it's interesting because I heard a, a talk just a little while ago. Someone was saying, you know, the importance of deflecting and the importance of being, you know, being humble. And, and I just had something in me that just like reared up, you know, like a porcupine. And I was like, no, <laughs> Rachel's bristles just went haywire because, um, because I've had to work so hard to both accept what I am, but also, um, always remember to be kind, right. And always remember to be, um, to be humble, but hum humility is not the same as, um, um, you know, is living beneath what and who you are. Yeah, yeah. totally. Totally. It's just not the same. I, yeah, I, I was just telling, yeah, I was just, I, I, I went through this, um, some years ago. Um, I used to think, you know, I, I always wanted to dress modestly and by modestly, I just mean, I didn't want to be, sort of like wowing people or try to be glamorous or try to be, you know, but whatever. you are glamorous and you're fabulous. So <laughs> just be it. Right. Well, and the thing is, it's, it has to do more with the intention than it does, um, the, cause you can't control the result. So, so if you're, if you are coming into a full expression of yourself, um, but you're not doing it with the intent of intimidating other people or, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you are just being you and you've taken the time to figure out who you are and what you love and what turns you on and you bring those things into your life and that ends up looking to other people kind of flashy or something, that's, it's okay. You don't have to feel bad that you're not, you know, that you're not being modest enough. I think it's a worse travesty for you to not do that investigation and to think, well, I don't want to show off, so I'm not going to even find out who I am or what my full expression looks like because yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> what's the word? It's like, I, I don't want to 
like vaunt myself. I don't want right. to, you know, what, is that oh, even no, a word no. that people will know what that means? I, I maybe know, I should I try like to it. find another I way like to it. say it. I like it. Vaunt. I like it. Yeah. 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 But it's about like exalting yourself or putting yourself above other people, but it's not about above or below. It's about embodying the fullness of who you are and, and being comfortable with yourself so that in, through that act, you give permission to other people to do the same. Yeah, and if those people yeah. at first feel jealous, that's something they got to work through. And and hopefully they will, you know, because they should also come to the point where they feel like it's not modest to deny who you are. Yeah. It's, you know, I, of course, you know, you want to be the best version of yourself and it doesn't mean that you have to go out and be all like brazen and, you know, like rude or something because that's who I am or something. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's not, it's not modest to, to never discover yourself, your true strengths, what you have to contribute and bring to other people too. Absolutely. And I think, um, it, it, this actually made me think of something that in high school, and maybe maybe we won't actually have this on the podcast, but I'm I'm going to talk about it right now because it fits really perfectly, and maybe we will. I don't know. Um, Do it. <laughs> high school is awesome material for these kinds of things. Yeah, in high school, well, it actually wasn't. So it was in college. I remember in college getting getting to a place where I like I was realizing part of the reason why I was chubby. I remember. Hmm. Yeah, I was chubby. I was never like... I didn't know you were chubby. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I've was, never seen a picture of you chubby. I mean, not like chubby, chubby. Like, I was... But I, I certainly, I certainly was heavier than, than I needed to be, right? Hmm. And I think part of the reason why I was heavier than I needed to be was out of fear. And it was a fear of being objectified to the point of causing other people to think something that, that would be not good for them to think. Like, you were protecting the little boys around you. Yes. <laughs> um, from the naughty thoughts. <laughs> How noble of you, no, Rachel. What does that even mean? Like, um, no, I, but I actually do remember feeling like it was my responsibility to to not to not be that way right to not to not cause anybody else um discomfort or to I've heard of this before I don't think that it was your thought I think that it came from somewhere else yes it may have yes absolutely there's very it's highly likely that it came from somewhere else but I had adopted it and therefore made it my own yes um, but I remember getting to a point where I was like you know what it is not my job to police the world. It is not my job to be uncomfortable in order to protect in a way that is not like actually protecting because people are responsible for their own actions. People are responsible for their own thoughts. People are, you know, you know, and part of sometimes that responsibility is, oh, that was a thought I don't want. <laughs> Bye. You know, like, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, uh, you know, but like, um, it's not my job. And I remember like that's feeling, right. feeling this sense of like, oh, well, that's a relief. And then I was, I suddenly started to just lose weight and I lost like 30 pounds hmm. and I was you know, gorgeous. I was gorgeous. <laughs> I was a starving college student. Let's be honest. <laughs> but, um, but I was, um, but it was a very liberating time because I, I gave myself permission to not feel bad about being beautiful. Hmm. And yeah. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to like, you know, what you're talking about, like, you know, you can just be fabulous you, right? Yeah. Whatever because that is. What's, yeah, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And what's that quote that goes something like, what other people think of you is none of your business? Boy, isn't that the truth? <laughs> isn't that the truth? And it's very, yeah. very hard to remember that when we live in these, you know, tightly knit communities of people that, you know, 
have so much to say about so little. Mm. Right? Yeah. And not enough to say about so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, develop, we... developing our own thoughts, you know, thinking about what we actually think um, about the world and, and, you know, developing a perspective and having, having an idea or an identity. Um, and those things often can be fluid, right? Like they, they don't necessarily, they're not hard and fast, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And can I say, I want to say one more thing. Um, I, I came to know, a, a yogi, a, a spiritual teacher of sattva yoga in the last um, two or three weeks, and I've been really impacted by his by his teachings. Um, his name is Anand Merotra, and he lives actually in Rishikesh, which is the birthplace of yoga in India. Gesundheit. And <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and uh, he. It's interesting. He he did this um, webinar about fearlessness and true prosperity, and he talked about how fear actually comes from um, trying to control things that we can't control. Hmm. And yeah. and so, <laughs> right? And so, and fearlessness comes from um, letting go of that and coming into an understanding of who you are in this moment. And that you are infinitely adaptable. And a lot of times the fear comes because we're thinking about the future and things that haven't happened yet. And we don't know how they're going to happen. And we don't know if they're going to happen. And we don't, you know, there's so many things we don't know and we certainly can't control. And, and so, you know, the present moment is all that we have. And so we decide how to act now. And then, you know, there's just a series of nows that happen and it's always the moment that we're in. And then, you know, if we can stay in that moment and remember, we have the tools, we have the tools that we need in this moment. And that's all we need because we can't have the tools for the future. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. Does that make sense? I'm thinking about it. I'm, th I'm thinking about it because I'm, I'm of two minds of this. Okay. Uh, like, when it comes to this sort of thinking. Yeah. One is that, yes, you must live presently and, you know, be present with the people that you're talking with, be present in, you know, experiencing a sunset, you know, be present in, you know, the music that you are listening to or, you know, whatever, like wherever you are, like be present in that moment and, you know, deal with whatever is happening right there. But I'm also of the mind that, you always have to be aware of how your actions right now are going to affect the future. Oh, absolutely. And like, I mean, that's especially true, like in, with interactions with other people, right? Like it's very, very easy, I think in life to get caught up at a moment. Um, it's actually not very easy for me to get caught up in the moment. Um, I, I always think about like, sort of the the domino effect of an action um and yet at the same time you are powerless to predict it i mean i guess so yeah of course you can't know you can't know that's why you that's why you decided to lose the weight is because you can't know how what you do is going to affect another person you can just do in that moment what you think is best and hope for the best outcome but you can't sure, know what the outcome sure, will be but you have to choose the best thing I guess that's that's sort of what it is for me. Yeah, think, right. But it's like, only in the moment because yes. you can't choose the best thing for the future. The future oh, no, hasn't no, no, happened absolutely. yet. Absolutely. No, no, no. Then yeah. I completely agree with that. Yeah, choosing yeah. the best thing in a moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah, and recog recognizing and recognizing, you know, what may be something that you want versus what you actually need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the way this applies for me to performing and to an aria is that you can't, you have to just be present with each moment within your singing. So whatever pitch you're on, be there. Don't be thinking about, 
you know, three or four measures away or the end with the big high note. Don't be thinking about oh, that. Gosh, Don't be no. freaking yourself out. You know what I mean? Well, Stay especially since that's a complete you are. disservice to your character. Well, yeah, there's right? that too. I mean, well, and therefore it's a complete disservice to your audience because you've jumped out of it and why should they stay? Yeah, it's right? true. I mean, At why should time, somebody think... else stick around if I'm like, oh crap, I'm going to do this. They're like, well, crap, why am I here? Right. right. <laughs> like, yeah. Um... But at the same time, I feel like, you know, when we're preparing for audition season, you know, it's the fall again and we're thinking, oh, I'm, you know, what are we, what are we thinking? Are we thinking about the future? Are we thinking about, oh, I'm going to sing for this company and they're going to reject me and I'm preparing these arias, but they're not going to be good enough. And, you know, what are we telling ourselves? Right. What are the stories? We're trying. Yeah. We're and I think we just have to stay there in the moment with ourselves and, and be curious and be and give ourselves permission to explore and, and, and then give it the attention that it needs and not be distracted by all that nonsense that doesn't exist in this moment. It's just a figment of our imagination. Well, I don't think that that's true. No? I don't think that it's a figment of our imagination. I don't. But I do think that it's irrelevant. Like... Me. Like, yeah, I, I, which I don't think is the same thing. Like, but you don't think projecting into the future is a figment of your own imagination? No, I don't. But how can it be? How can it be anything more than that? Well, I mean, I guess for me, because I sort of, I mean, I kind of, I feel like I see things. Do you You're know what clairvoyant. I mean? Like, <laughs> tell everything. <laughs> Should I sound like a complete? <laughs> no, <God>. go on. <laughs> I feel like this is like Twilight no. Zone. Um, okay. No, like I mean, I have had moments in my life where, like, I've I've known like, okay, here you are at a cross. I've known like I've had this you know this experience where it's like you are at a crossroads. In this moment, you can make a decision and you can go this way or that way. If you go this way, here's here's the trajectory of this choice. If you go this way, here hmm. is the trajectory of this choice. Um, and so because of those experiences, like, I, 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 ha I just feel like it's important to recognize and I think also to like work on our own sort of vision like w the vision mm. of our lives like what do yeah we, like what do we see you know what what kind of scenarios can we put together and it's it's not with judgment I think that's the important thing is that mm. it's not with judgment in the sense of like saying and therefore you are a bad person or and therefore you made a mistake it's it's what do you want what do you want to create? Yeah. What do you want? Like, it's much more active than that. Yeah. Um, definitely. We're definitely creators. And I think that's why we have to be careful the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and also to it. give yourself in those moments, right, to give yourself options. Like, if, if this, then maybe that, 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 and that. Or it could lead to this, 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 and this. Or this, 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 and this. Or this could go to, you know what I mean? And like kind of look at a bigger picture um, in order to give yourself a little bit of perspective of where you are right now. Yeah. Um, and yet be open to whatever happens because yeah. you don't know. You just, you just never know. You yep. don't know. You don't you know can't what's control gonna... it. Well, and you know, I, I love this idea and it's something that I, I think about a lot about not having coincidences in life like the people that we are introduced to like i've had so many experiences where you know in la where there's like seven people that even know about opera you know and i'll go to a party that's not with opera people and i'll meet someone you know who's involved in opera you know it's just and i don't think that that's a coincidence i think that that is something that is orchestrated you know, mm. you know, as a, as a divine mercy for me. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's one of the things that's been so great about being in Vienna. Like I've, I've, you know, had the, such great conversations about art and I've been able to already. Yeah, I bet. So many concerts <laughs> and opera. A few more opera lovers there than in LA. Uh, yes. A few. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, 
if it's a part of your culture, it's, you're just going to experience it differently and you're going to be able to talk about it differently. I would say, though, the younger generation offers certainly not as big of a part of their culture. It just isn't, you know? Yeah. But they say actually in a, the, the counter argument to people saying that it's a dying um, opera lovers are a dying breed is that actually a lot of people start getting into opera when they're in their 50s after yeah. they're like, yeah, after their kids are grown and they're looking to fill their free time. It's something that they maybe, you know, they're just looking for things, you know, they're getting into more culture and they're looking for things to fill their time with. And that's when they actually start being. And so the, the fans of opera, a lot of them are old just because they're the ones who have the time and interest. And that doesn't always happen for young people. Young people have yeah. other things going on, yeah, like Taylor I mean, Swift, and Justin Bieber. And... Well, and I mean, the thing about most pop musicians is that you can, you know, it's just a smaller pill to swallow, right? It's just a, it, it just, it doesn't take quite as much to ingest it. It just doesn't. Yeah. It's and milk. you meat. have to, well, you have to, you just have to, you just, you, you, you got to spend more time with it. And sometimes you're not, you're just not ready for that when you're younger. Yeah. And it's interesting that, like I was having this conversation last night, um, with some art lovers about, you know, how if it's not a part of your culture or if you aren't introduced to it at a young age, like you, you, you know, likely won't ever, you know, be interested in it. And it was so interesting because for me, it's like, well, I didn't grow up in a house that knew anything about opera. Um, and I yeah. still sort of feel like an outsider, I think, because of that. Um, but not in a bad way. Hmm. I just feel like I don't, I don't have the same kind of conversations about it the way that maybe um, people who have grown up with it would have because I'm used to talking with my family that still doesn't really understand what I'm doing with my life. Um, <laughs> but, and so, it, yeah, it just gives a different perspective, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and yet you carry on For because sure. it is in you. Yeah, man. God you said, are one of the chosen ones. God said, you will have a vibrato at the age of three. And I said, <laughs> dear God, why? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the carry on we must. Yeah. And, you know, making art that matters and making art in the face of terrorism and in the face of great tragedy is, is a part of you know, it's just a part of it. Yeah. Right? It's a way for us to, to connect. It's a way for us to, um, to, I guess, show gratitude. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Didn't, we didn't talk a whole lot about emotional intelligence did you want to go back to that at all or um well we could we could always circle back to it and talk about it another time because we've already i think it's we're already at like an hour 20 yeah although the first five minutes ten probably minutes, yeah, no. oh, ten. i've got okay. an hour 10 right now on my okay recording, of recording but, okay mm -hmm. but yeah we can well, wrap it up or we could talk about I it think, a little more or whatever i think they're yeah i mean we kind of just touched on a lot of those things that have yeah. to do with because emotional intelligence has to do with like not not giving too much weight to things that don't matter, yes. you know, and when you're not emotionally intelligent, you overreact and you you know what I mean? And so hmm. I don't know. I don't I don't know how it interweaves exactly. I will ponder it more. I'm, I'm reading a book about it right now. Hmm. So, yeah, another book. Yeah, that's great. And then maybe we can maybe we can talk about it again. That'd be cool. Okay. All right. Let's talk again. All right. Well, then I will. I will stop this recorder. Okay. That's great. And I wanted to tell you also that you texted me. I did. Yeah. And but maybe you meant to send it to someone else. Oh, and I so sent I wanted it to. Oh no. <laughs> Sorry. I did. Tuesday, 